people uh, that you know, family and friends, neighbors, they're willing to come to church. Christmas and Easter are sort of those two times of year that people will say yes if you, if you invite them. And so I want to encourage us, New Hope Church, to, to reach out to somebody you know and to, and to invite them. And don't be surprised when they say, okay, thanks for asking. And then meet them at that service, whatever one they can go to. Join them there and, and enjoy the Christmas celebration with them. To help you with that, we have for all of us online invites there that you can, through Facebook, you can share those out with other people. And then for those of us on campus, we have some paper invites. They're on the table in the lobby. I would encourage you to grab one, grab five, grab 20, whatever you want to use, and to use these to, to share with people about the Christmas celebration services so that they can come and celebrate the birth of Jesus hear the good news of the gospel, and really to, to celebrate what Christmas is really all about. So uh, these are for you, and it's going to be a special time uh, as we anticipate that and look, uh, look forward to it. If you would, please grab your Bibles, and we're going to be in the book of Matthew this morning, Matthew chapter 16. And uh, one question that came up last Sunday is, is when we share from the stage, which translation are we using? Because sometimes you might be using a different translation, or you're on a, a digital platform, and you're trying to look it up, and you're like, well, it doesn't quite seem the same. Uh, we're in the New International Version, or if you're, again, in your new, U version or whatnot, NIV is the way it's, it's acronym there. And so you can use that and follow along uh, with the same translation uh, for that. We're in a series called Manger to Majesty. And what we're doing is we're looking at the person of Jesus. We're not focusing on the what's and the when's of Christmas as much as the who. And drilling into to who is Jesus and why is Christmas so incredibly special. We want to better understand him so that we can better celebrate Christmas and what it's really all about. We started this last week and we looked at the humanity of Christ. But we are taking in, we are absorbing in the mind-boggling truth of who Jesus is. That, that he, is, he is the Son of God, member of the Trinity, that Jesus is the one who is the creator of all things and sustainer of all things. That Jesus is eternal. Let that soak in for a second. Jesus has no beginning. He has no end. There's never been a time when Jesus did not exist. When it says in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God, Jesus was already there. He existed before the beginning. In fact, Christmas, though it may be about the birth of Jesus, it's not about the beginning of Jesus. He is eternal. In addition to that, he is, he is God. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the Lion of Judah. He is the Great I Am. He is the one that we celebrate about Christmas and all year long. There is no one like Jesus and this is what we're about here. Now, I mentioned last week we talked about the humanity of Christ. We took a step back and we said, okay, Jesus uh, uh, took on flesh. The fancy word for that is the incarnation and be, became like us so that we could become like him. Today, we're going to talk about the other side of the equation. We're going to take on the deity of who Jesus is to better understand him. Now, remember, Jesus is very unique he, he's, he's one person in one body, and yet unlike us, he has two natures. He is divine, he is God, but he added to that humanity. And as he did that, he, the, the humanity, the two natures, his humanity and his divinity are, are vitally interconnected such that he operated with, with one mind and one will and one consciousness. He wasn't dualistic in that way. He set aside for a time, though, 
He set aside his divine abilities, not that he is divine, but he set that aside for a time to live a normal human life, completely dependent on the Holy Spirit as we are called to do as well, ultimately going to the cross in our place. But throughout it all, Jesus never ceased to be God. He is divine. This morning, we're going to interact with this idea briefly of what does it mean for Jesus to be God? And how does that impact our lives today? So in our passage in Matthew 16, hopefully you're turned there now, whether it's a, a paper version or digital version here, just to give us some background. Jesus is with his disciples, and he's in a city called Caesarea Philippi. This was a very Las Vegas-like city at the time. It was a place that was, that was everything you can sort of imagine it to be. But one thing that's interesting about this city is that when you would, when you would walk around the city, it was packed with statues, statues that were meant to be worshipped. I mean, they were everywhere. You could worship one, you could worship them all, but you'd walk down different streets, turn the corner, there's another one. Go down the street, there's another one. And, and so people were, were very polytheistic. They would worship in all different kinds of ways, all different kinds of, of things. And, and even the Roman emperor, all that was in play. And it was in that city, with all this in play, Jesus strives to cut through the clutter and ask his disciples a critical question. A pop quiz, if you will, to help them to bring clarity about who Jesus is. It's a life-altering question, not just for them, but it's for us as well. And you know as well as I do, life is full of questions, isn't it? In fact, I learned this week that the average person, American, we, we interact with 35,000 questions every day. No wonder you're exhausted at the end of the day. And if you have small children, it's like double that, right? You know this. This is the case. And so we, we have these points of decision, these questions that face us all the time. And some questions are important. Am I going to go to church this morning? Some questions are not as important. Um, what am I going to eat after church? Uh, that. Uh, how about uh, some questions are sort of like nonsense questions. Like, uh, do vegetarians eat animal crackers? I don't know. If you have a bunch of cats that pile, pile on each other, they still call it a dog pile. I, you know, I don't, so the, some questions are nonsensical, but some questions are really important. Like in my life, Ben, do I have your permission, your blessing to marry your daughter? Laura, will you do me the honor of being my bride and marrying me? You know, we come to these pivots in life, these important questions. And this is the type of moment that Jesus brings to his disciples. This question, this penetrating question, this, in my opinion, the most important question that could ever be asked. He brings it to the disciples. Look with me at Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 is where we'll begin. This is when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi. He asked his disciples, who do the people say the Son of Man, referring to himself Jesus, is? And they replied, well, some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and so others, Jeremiah, or, or one of the prophets. So you notice the disciples, to so this question, they, they respond to Jesus with sort of the word on the street responses, the buzz, if you will, that was going around town about who Jesus was. Notice these are all flattering comparisons. See, Jesus had... A reputation. He had a good reputation among the people. They admired Jesus. They, they could tell there was something about him that was different from the other Jewish rabbis. That he was not like the other ones. He was, he was different. 
And these, these were complementary comparisons, but they were not correct. But notice here that Jesus doesn't take any interest or effort to correct the word on the street answer. He goes in a different direction. Let's keep going to verse 15. He says, but what about you? That you is plural. He's talking to all of them. What about you? He says, who do you say that I am? And I can't help but wonder if Jesus was just a little bit nervous to ask this question. Because these weren't just random guys. These were the guys that he had invested in. These are the guys he spent every single day with. They saw him in action. They saw him teaching. They saw him in the morning and in the evening. They, they were with him all the time. And he, he comes to this pivotal moment of your assessment. He's asking, what is your assessment? Who do you say that I am? This was the question. And Simon Peter answered. He said, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Peter steps up, sort of like a spokesman for the group. And he hits it out of the park, doesn't he? He, he, says, he says, you, Jesus, you are the Messiah, meaning you're the Savior. You're the one that has been talked about throughout the entire Old Testament. You're the one we've been waiting for, thus Jewish people, for centuries. And you're here. You're the Messiah. And he says, secondly, he says, you're the Son of the living God. In other words, this declaration, this confession, you are divine. You are not like us. You're God who took on flesh. This was his confession. This was a, a huge moment for Peter. This was a life-changing moment for Peter. This was a life-changing moment for the disciples. This was something that was pivotal for them. But it's the same for us. Every single one of us to interact with the same question. Because Peter could have answered in a lot of different ways. Uh, he could have said a lot of things that are even said today about Jesus. Jesus, you're a really good guy. Jesus, you're a great teacher. My goodness, the way you can whip up a crowd. Jesus, you're a, a prophet. Jesus, you're a moral, really moral person. I mean, on the scale of just morality, whew, you're at the top. I mean, he could have said all kinds of different things about who Jesus is. But he got it right. You are the Messiah. So let me ask you this morning. As Christmas is upon us, as we're in this time of, of celebrating his birth, the birth of Christ, who do you say this morning that he is? And many of you, you've come to a place maybe even years ago of conviction. And that's solid, rock solid in place. But for others of you, you may be in process. You're still trying to consider, I, I don't know who he is. I'm, I'm still trying to figure out what in the world this is all about. And, and you're exploring who he is. If that's you this morning, and really for all of us, I want to approach the same question, but in a different direction, different angle. And it's this. What did Jesus say about himself? What did he say about who he is? And I want to encourage us this morning. Though there were times in his ministry that he was careful about how the word got out, Jesus never wavered and had absolute clarity about himself that he is the Son of God. Like, for example... Jesus called himself Savior. Uh, Jesus uh, accepted worship. People would bow down and worship him, and he would accept that. He, he forgave sins. He did miracles. He raised the dead. 
And if that isn't enough, the Jewish leaders of his time, they were bent on assassinating Jesus. Why? For blasphemy. Because they knew with absolute clarity that what Jesus was doing and what he was saying was affirming that Jesus wasn't just some other guy. He wasn't just some other rabbi or even prophet, that he was different. He was the son of God. And for that, for them, was blasphemy. And they tried to assassinate him. They worked it 11 times. You realize that? They got him on number 11 on the Roman cross. There was clarity about that. But maybe this morning is famously asked, well, what if he was lying? What if Jesus was, wasn't telling the truth? That's been considered over the centuries. It's been one that people have wondered about. Could he be just created this evil master plan, this sort of agenda that he like worked his plan out and of course roped in the disciples and many other followers to be with him and, and they went through that whole plan and, and well, the plan ended up dying on a cross, but I mean, maybe he didn't see that coming. But, but regardless, what if he wasn't telling the truth all along, but he knew it? But here's the thing. The thing about it is that pain has a way of weeding out lies. You know it's true in your life too. Pain is a way of weeding out lies. Because see, if Jesus was lying and just made it up, then when he gets to a point where he's arrested and he's beaten, he scores, the crown of thorns is pounded in his head, he's being led out to Golgotha to be nailed to a cross, at that point you would imagine if he's telling a lie and in his right mind he'd be like, hey, okay, tapping out. Just joking. This was all a big joke. Okay, can I just back away here and, and take this back? But he never wavers. He never wavers. The lie continues typically until the price of the lie outweighs the benefit gained from it. But you don't see that with Jesus. He was consistent. But what if he was, as sometimes said, C.S. Lewis famously posted, Lying, or maybe he was a lunatic. Maybe he was crazy. Maybe he was, he was deceiving everybody, but he didn't know he was doing it. He was just crazy. Because after all, there have been dozens, if not hundreds of people over the years who have said that they were a Savior. They were a Messiah. That, that certainly has happened. David Goresh, Marshall Applewhite, many others. But they were all crazy. And you can look at their life and you can see they were crazy. How about Jesus? Does he demonstrate lunacy? Well, mental health experts and psychologists, they have analyzed, you can easily imagine, analyzed Jesus, and they've, they've come away with a picture as they've studied him that he is the sign of perfect mental health. They point to examples of that. For, for example, uh, he demonstrated being rational. He, his relationships were strong and healthy. He was, his teaching was brilliant. He was steady in adversity. He was appropriately courageous. He wasn't erratic in his behavior. All of these sort of form this picture of mental health. This is not the evidence, the lifestyle of a crazy person. So again, as C.S. Lewis said, either he's lying or he's crazy. But if he's neither of those, that only leaves you one answer left. And it's the only answer that Jesus allows us to have. And it's your only fill in the blank this morning too. Here it is. Jesus is God. If you walk away with nothing this morning, I hope you walk away with that. And for most of you here this morning on campus or watching online, this may not be new, but to reaffirm that and to hold on to that in your life and in mine is so important. Because if Jesus is God, if that is true, 
It changes everything. You know what else it changes? Christmas. It changes Christmas. It changes how we approach, how we should approach Christmas. Because Jesus isn't the story of a good guy who was killed on a Roman cross. It isn't the story of, of a good family that had an unfortunate uh, uh, event of being born in Bethlehem, but there's no place in the inn. It, it is more than that. That this is God who took on flesh, who came as the rescuer to rescue you and I from our sin problem, to restore hope, to offer forgiveness and a second chance relationship with him. See, Jesus came, please hear this, Jesus came when he didn't have to because he loves you. He's for you. And he came to rescue, to save. And that's what we celebrate this Christmas. And let's, let's remember too, Christmas is a time, and I've said this before, it's a time where everything is magnified. Have you noticed that? So, as I even said last week, if, if you're in a place in life this morning where things are going well, Christmas just makes it a little extra good. But if you're in a place this Christmas where things are not going so well, Christmas makes it even harder. This is what Christmas is. And this is what we, we face this time of year every year. And if you're in a place this morning where... The holiday season has been tough. You've had a heavy heart. I want to close by reminding all of us the words of Gabriel. Gabriel the angel who came to marry this young teenage girl who was going about her life's business engaged to a carpenter and planning out how things would go. And, and the Lord, the great interrupter, shows up. His angel comes to deliver this message about her being with child but Gabriel says something very important in these words here. Don't have to turn there. Just look on the screen behind. Luke chapter 1, verse 35. It says, The angel answered, and he said, The Holy Spirit, Mary, will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And then he graciously gives Mary this uh, uh, this sign, this sort of evidence, if you will, of what is, is happening here is true. He says, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. And here it is. Even a, a fill in the blank. For nothing is impossible with God. I looked up that word nothing in the Greek and it means nothing. And more than that, it means emphatically nothing. You could say nothing, absolutely nothing, nothing. I mean, just go on and on. There is no exception. Nothing is impossible with God. And some of us, we need to hear this this morning. And we need to be reminded that God is strong. And he is on his throne. And he is in control. And there is nothing that is impossible for him. Let this encourage you this morning. Let this provide hope for you this morning. If you're in a place this morning where you are, you're hurting and, and your heart is heavy for whatever it is because, because of a loss of someone or a situation that's going on, 
know that run to him and know that nothing is impossible for him or maybe for you it it isn't a a hurt but it's a hardship this morning it's a financial hardship or a relationship hardship or or something that you're dreading or a health scare whatever it is there it's this much the same that nothing is impossible for him run to him run to him and here's the thing i I don't know how god is going to work in your life as you lean in this Christmas season to a, a Lord that is strong and who loves you, I don't know how he's going to work, but here's what I do know. I do know that he's going to show you in his way and in his time how much he loves you and that everything he will do will be for your greatest good and for his greatest glory. And you can count on it. Whatever you're facing, I want to invite you to to bring it to him and to lean in this Christmas season, trusting him for all that's on your heart. We're going to take some time now. We're going to take our time to receive communion. We're doing this for two reasons. One is, is to tell the Lord thank you. To, to come before him and to carve out these moments of time where you can, you can spend with him. And if there's a weight that you have this morning, that you can bring that to him and lay it at his feet, remembering that nothing is impossible for him. And then we're also going to say thank you for the cross. Because the cross, a, a, a symbol of the times of shame and defeat, became the sign and the place of victory over sin. It's the cross, and Jesus going to the cross is where death was defeated, hope was restored. This is where we find forgiveness. And so it is appropriate as the church to come together and to receive these elements, the bread that reminds of, of the body that was, that was given and the blood that was shed for the payment for our sins and to tell him thank you and to worship him because of what he accomplished on the cross. And so in just a moment, the band's going to play a song. And you can sing along, but, or you can just, just listen. And when you're ready, I want to invite you to come to the table to receive the elements. The elders can come down, if you would, please, now, and get prepared. And receive the bread and, and the cup. And if you take it back to your seat, if you would just enjoy time with the Lord. I'll come back up and we'll partake together so you don't need to partake on your own. But enjoy this time to lean in, to worship, and to tell him.